Normally the, ver- the scriptures go up on the screen, that's not going to happen this morning. So if you have your Bibles and, and devices, we'll be using those. Our main passage this morning is found in Matthew 18. It's uh, verses 21 through 35. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. I'll give you a few seconds to get there, and then I'll read. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we uh, pray that you would use it to transform us as you do. God, we ask that it would speak new life into us. God, that it would, tr- it would make us more like your son, Jesus. We, it's in his name that we ask. Amen. Well, this summer, uh, through, through the months of July and August, we're going to be looking at what it means to follow Jesus. Next month, in fact, I'll be preaching on prayer, on what it means to pray without ceasing. Uh, but here this morning, we're going to talk about forgiveness. It's been suggested that if uh, we were to take a poll of the hardest statements to make, two of the top responses would be, I'm sorry, and I forgive you. As you sit listening to me, if you reflected for for just a moment, you could probably think of somebody who's close to you or or maybe even your own self, if you're really honest, who was held in bondage by an inability to utter one or both of those statements. Maybe if you reflected for uh, just a little bit more, you could think of somebody close to you or, or again, even yourself who has experienced restoration because um, you'd gone to somebody or, or somebody had come to you and and apologize, and there was forgiveness there, uh, restoration of a relationship. These are, these are hard matters, to be sure, but for the Christian, for the one who follows Jesus, they're absolutely necessary. John Stott said that forgiveness is as indispensable to the life and health of the soul as food is to the body. He said forgiveness is as indispensable to the life and health of the soul as food is to the body. You know, we can go without food for a little while, um, I've done some short-term fasts. The most noticeable thing about them from a physical standpoint is how they weaken you. 
Of course, if you don't eat for long enough, you starve, you die. It's probably not a coincidence that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, give us this day our daily bread, which was immediately followed by, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So let's turn to our passage. Verse 21. So Peter comes and says, Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? There was a rabbinic view at that time that you only needed to forgive somebody three times. The, the quote was, if a man commits a transgression, the first, the second, the third time he is forgiven. The fourth time he is not forgiven. Now, Peter would have been aware of this. So he asked if seven times will be sufficient. He probably thought he was pretty hot stuff. Bold, bold Peter. Okay. You can almost see the wheels turning in his head. Jesus said, if I was forced to go one mile, to go two. The rabbis say to forgive three times, I'll double it and add one. He is going to love that. Right? So Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And Peter must have said, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Some translations have it 70 times seven. Okay, 77, whether 77 or 70 times seven, 490, right? What is Jesus saying? He's not, he's not assigning a math problem, okay? He's saying, stop counting. For a follower of Christ... Forgiveness is to be a way of life. So Jesus tells a parable to illustrate this point. The word therefore at the beginning of verse 23, it does more than just tie the parable to the preceding two verses, okay? A lot of times in the epistles, for example, uh, we see Paul use therefore, a lot of times you'll hear it, like if you see therefore, what's it there for? And you go back and read the paragraph before, right? Uh, when Paul does that, most times it's a, con it's a conjunction, okay? I know this might be a little confusing, but I'll try to explain it quickly. This is a preposition here. If you turn with me quickly to Romans 5.1, just keep your hand where you're at, but turn quickly to Romans 5.1. I'll just show you the difference very quickly. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? I'll read it again if you're just getting there. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The therefore here is the conjunction, but the preposition is also present. It's the word through. We have peace through Jesus. We have peace because of Jesus. Okay. So taking that back to Matthew, because I just told you to stop counting how many times you forgive, I'm going to tell you a parable. There's an implication here. The implication is that what Jesus is telling them is especially important, all right? We've already read the whole parable, so we'll, we'll continue on. You can, you can judge it for yourselves. Okay, and the next verse says, one was brought to him. Okay, this guy did not, this guy, uh, the king was settling accounts. This guy didn't come of his own accord, okay? He was brought to him. The footnote on my Bible says a talent was worth about 20 years' wages for a laborer. A talent was not a drachma or a, a shekel, okay? It wasn't dollars and cents. It was a weight, 
It was the largest weight that the Jews had in use. So what we're talking about here is precious metals, right? It would be like somebody telling me that I owed them 10,000 gold bars, okay? I'm sure many of you have seen movies with, like, heists and gold bars, right? Where am I going to get a gold bar, let alone 10,000 of them, all right? We're talking about an unpayable debt, all right? And it says in verse 25, since he could not pay. What we're not told is, is what got the servant into this mess, okay? How do you come to owe such a debt? But that is not the important part of the story. We all owed an unpayable debt. Our stories are all different, uh, but for this parable, it is the lack of money and not the reason for its absence that matters. We don't need to know the sordid details. So the king, uh, hereafter called master or lord, depending on your translation, he orders the servant and his family and all his possessions to be sold. This is a punishment, okay? It's not a settlement. He's not getting 10,000 talents from the sale, right? Now, this is a bleak situation for the debtor, okay? He owes a huge amount of money, and now he's losing his freedom and all his possessions. So he has nothing to leverage to even try to repay. So he begs for mercy. He takes a a lowly uh, position. But we see, if you look at verse 26, he's willing to say anything, right? He says, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. No, you won't. No, you won't. It's unpayable. If a talent is 20 years wages, we're talking about 200,000 years, right? You're never paying that back. First century Jewish historian Josephus uh, had it that all of the taxes that were collected from Palestine amounted to 8,000 talents, okay? All of the taxes that were collected in Palestine amounted to 8,000 talents. So this was more than that, okay? The guy was desperate to be sure. The next verse, uh, verse 27, we see that the king was moved with pity towards the man. Not only was he patient with him, he did more than the man asked for, okay? He didn't just give him time to pay. He forgave the debt, and he truly freed the man. This was mercy in his purest form. Verse 28, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. A one denarius was a day's wage. So a hundred denarii is not a pittance. It's quite a sizable debt. It's over three months' wages. Now, it's not a talent. Okay? If you're interested, 6,000 denarii is one talent. So it's certainly not 10,000 talents, but it's not nothing. Notice, though, that he found his fellow servant who owed him. He had to be brought before the king but he went out and found this guy. It doesn't explicitly say that he sought him out. I mean, he could have happened upon him, but he probably sought him out. Also note the violence here that did not happen when he was before the king. He he choked the man. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. This sounds awfully familiar. This is almost word for word the same plea that we read before. The difference is that this was actually a payable debt. This man had some chance of raising that money. And he refuses. 
puts him in prison until he should pay the debt. This is the plot twist. Okay. As hearers and readers, we expect a certain kind of result. Now, of course, many of us know this story, but we still need to engage with it. What we want is for the much smaller debt to be forgiven, obviously. But that wasn't what was asked for. So you ask yourselves, had the man agreed to what was asked and given him time to pay the debt back, what would have happened? I believe the answer is probably nothing. His fellow servants in the next verse might have bristled at it, but would, would there have been grounds to go to the king? I don't think so. He would have done for the fellow servant what was asked of him. Well, it's, it's a parable anyway. It's not a historical event. Why, you know, bother with conjecture about it? To show how right the king was later when he called him wicked. This was, this was more than greed. This was total wickedness. Okay? He put the man in prison until he should pay the debt. He took him away from any chance to earn the money to pay back the debt. This is, this is a real injustice. When the fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. Verse 31. Other translations have it grieved, upset, uh, even outraged. Me too. They were obviously aware uh, that he had been forgiven of his debt. And uh, now here he would not show mercy to his fellow servant. And they gave a full account to the master. So the master summons him and says, uh, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And we touched on the man's wickedness already. When the king is speaking, the word order in the Greek is, all that debt I forgave you. So the emphasis is on the word all. This huge amount that you never could have repaid. I forgave you all of that. Okay. Moving on, verse 33. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Ought, ought you not, you know, a lot of the English phrases it as a question. It's not really a question. It's, it's more of a statement. You should have. If you receive mercy, you should give mercy. Uh, Daniel 9.9 says, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. You'll notice that the king does not say that the man should have forgiven the debt. He never says that. Wouldn't it have been possible for the, the servant to do some kind of calculus where he lets the man off the hook because he knows he's coming out ahead, right? But he still has some hatred in his heart towards him. Like, this guy's a bum. He, he couldn't pay me back. I'm not going to have anything to do with him from now on, you know? But no, mercy, mercy and forgiveness are heart issues, right? The king forgave the debt which was the action, because he was first moved with pity, okay? And if the man had been merciful, he would have acted on it. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That's Micah 6.8. Well, the king was rightfully angry, verse 34, and he delivered him to the jailers. Originally, he was going to sell him and recoup some of the some of the small part of the debt. Now he was doing to the man what, what he did to the fellow servant. He put him in jail. Uh, this guy was never getting out. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Again, this is a, this is a heart issue. 
And this is, this is application. Uh, Jesus gives application from the parable in the form of a, of a stern warning. We said that there was an implication in the importance of forgiveness. And there is. He says, we'll do to every one of you. Jesus is really driving the point home. This isn't a message for a select few. Everyone who hears, everyone who reads, if you've received God's mercy through Jesus' death and resurrection, if you've been brought into his family, if you've had your sins washed clean, you must forgive. You must show mercy. Wholeheartedly, not grudgingly, it has to be a way of life. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm, I'm so glad that Jesus said 100 denarii, not five. To forgive that is not nothing. We're not, we're not just saying, yeah, whatever, and pretending that the offense didn't bother us. It can bother us a great deal. I don't have time to deal with all sorts of hypotheticals that we could get into, okay? Uh, but I will tell you a story. I have a friend who, he's lived out of state for some, some time now, but when he was still local, he met and married a girl. Um, they weren't married for very long uh, before the relationship soured. Thing, things got bad. Um, she grew cold and, and distant, and she told him that she wanted a divorce. As a believer, he did not want to divorce her. He wanted to work on their problems. But her mind was made up. Um, there really was no talking to her, talking her out of it. She began an affair with a close friend of his to force the issue. And ultimately, he had to let her go. And I can remember him uh, weeping, struggling with forgiveness, especially towards this man who was supposed to have been his friend. He knew he had to forgive him. But it was hard. But listen, there's, there's grace as we deal with things like this. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But we have to deal with them. My friend did forgive that man. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We can apply that to forgiveness. We are forgiving things that are temporal in the hope of our eternal life. Jesus forgave the very people that were crucifying him. True forgiveness comes from God. You'll turn with me quickly to uh, Psalm 130. I'll read the first four verses. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. Okay, so true forgiveness comes from God. You can make a flowchart, the word God, then an arrow with the word forgiveness over it, and then the word uh, self, and then another arrow with forgiveness over it, and then the word others. Okay? You could do that with the word love, too. You know, God, and then the arrow with love, self, arrow, others. When we receive God's mercy, we can and should be merciful to others. When we receive God's love, we can and should love others. But why am I even bringing love up? This is a, this is a message on forgiveness. 
The Bible says that love keeps no record of wrongs. Love forgives. It's not like, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll forgive him as soon as he shows he's ready to start doing A, B, and C. You know, when, when, she, sa- when she tells me X, Y, and Z, then I'll forgive her. No, you forgive. Another thing, whether, whether you need forgiveness or you need to forgive someone, if you're aware of it, you go to them. Love takes the first step. If, uh, if there's something to forgive... I believe it's prudent. You don't always have to address issues. There are times that you can let things go. You let them go. I mean, if, there, if there's not issues that have to be addressed, you know, you can let things go. But when there's times that, there, that things really do cause a rift, Matthew 18 in the, in the verses just before our parable says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Okay? So we don't gossip about, we don't gossip about what happened. You deal with it alone. Then it says, if, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established. Okay, so we, we deal with things biblically, right? After the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, the next verses, which are, which are 14 and 15, read, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That kind of sounds ominous, maybe a little uh, threatening, but I don't believe it is. You see, God doesn't leave us where he finds us. The gospel that saves is the same gospel that sanctifies, that makes us more like Jesus. And if I'm unwilling to forgive people here on earth, it's because I didn't understand or truly accept what was done for me. How could I have when I look at my debt, which I could not pay, yet which was forgiven? Our passage this morning says, when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants when, who owed him. It was immediately after having his debt forgiven. Okay, did he get it? Did he understand what had happened? I don't believe he did, All right? As we head toward a close, I want to read another parable found in Luke 15, starting in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I wonder, and and we can't be dogmatic about this because it's not spelled out clearly, but I wonder if the reason the forgiven man went looking to collect was to take money. I told you that I would pay you back everything, part of it. I know people like that. It might have even seemed honorable from a worldly perspective, but here's the thing. He could not pay the debt. We cannot earn our salvation. It is the free gift of God through Jesus Christ. Freely you have received, freely give. When the prodigal son came back, he came back expecting not to be called a son, but a servant. He was going to work to be in the household, but the father instead threw a party for him and welcomed him back a son. Well, maybe you're a believer and you don't have any discord with anybody. Praise God for that. You will. If that's the case, hopefully you'll know what to do when it arises. Maybe you're a believer and you know you need forgiveness or, or to forgive uh, somebody. Go to them. I'm not saying it'll be easy. We have people here who will pray with you about these situations. And maybe you've known about the gospel for a long time, but you haven't truly accepted it. Maybe you struggle with forgiving others because you don't believe you can be forgiven. That is a lie of the enemy. Not only is God able, he is wanting. It's not too late for you. You aren't too far gone as you're hearing me. In fact, Joel 2.25 says that he is able to restore the years the locusts have eaten. As there was a party for the prodigal son, there will be a party in heaven for you. You could decide today to have the debt that you can't pay be forgiven. Again, there are people who will pray for you. Dan will come as we close with a song of confession. Thank you, Daryl. Thank God for forgiveness. Amen? Amen. <laughs>